This episode of Right at the Fork is brought to you by Zupan's Markets. We're this month, right? It's fall, and mm-hmm. there's nothing more we want to crunch on than yeah. apples. And they have organic opal apples, the bright yellow, sweet, and tangy. The magic of the opal apple is that it doesn't get brown when you cut it. Right. So it's also tasty, but you also have a little time so to then do you're, what you're going to do with so it. So then your 10-year-old kid, when you put it in their lunch, isn't like, Dad, it got all gross on me. And so here's the other thing. When you go to Zupan's, that produce department is so beautiful, you're going to see them displayed beautifully amongst a lot of other great fruit and vegetables. Oh, so yeah. that's just that's just the impetus to go in there. I was in uh, Zupan's in Lake Grove over the weekend. My wife sent me out to find lychees. You familiar with these? Are those weird spiny-looking things? It's got mm-hmm. the white fruit. They didn't have lychees, but they had a close cousin, which is called the Rambutan. Mm. And I talked to, uh, yeah. Who knew? But <laughs> Kelly, the produce manager at that location, was like, no, these are the Rambutan. And he cut one open and showed me. And I was able, because my, my wife was making this special Halloween drink. Was that, she okay with it when she you went, came no, back with per, that? The idea was, because that, that white flesh, you, you stick a blueberry in it. And in fact, Kelly was the one that says, you stick a blueberry in that, it looks like an eyeball. So there is your Halloween uh, prep right I'm there. I'm just happy for you, because the bane of my marital existence was going to the store and coming home with the wrong thing. Oh, yeah. No, I... So, I made sure, no, with Kelly at, in the produce department, he says, no, this is their close cousin. It's, it does the exact same thing, tastes pretty similar, and I got a big stack of them. There it is, Zupan's the marriage savers. Yeah. Uh, also, while you're at Zupan's, you might want to check this out. I know I actually have to check it out for my 10-year-old. Macaroni and cheese, everybody's favorite comfort food, now with some pizzazz. Uh, yeah. Hatch chilies, smoked gouda, white cheddar, and classic cheddar. It's all not just for this. kids anymore. No, no, it's, no. It's an, it's... A pretty well-known... Yes. Everybody's talking about mac and cheese Yeah, everywhere. go get your Zupan's mac and cheese. And the other thing that people are talking about all the time is wine. Yep. And uh, October at Zupan's means you can, look what we just did, take a trip to Italy with this month's featured wines that make a perfect addition to any autumn dinner party. It's a light-bodied white or classic Chianti, which happens to be my favorite red. Mm-hmm. Uh, Chianti Classico. Their wines this month will delight palates of all kinds and pair wonderfully with Zupan's marinara and pasta or crusty baguette with Zupan's balsamic vinegar and olive oil. All good stuff. Yep. Be sure to check out three locations on McAdam, Lake Grove, and of course, West Burnside, and always Zupan's.com. All right, here we go. It's a classic edition of Right at a Fork on a very spooky Halloween. And uh, we're going back maybe just a year, October of 2017, when Damien Magista, who is a longtime uh, offender, no, a guest here on Right at the Fork podcast, and Lucas Longacre joined us to talk about Food Cart the Movie. And I think maybe we were a year too early. It was a passion project of Damien's. And Lucas's, and they uh, came and talked about it, was hoping to have it in the film festival circuit last year, but it uh, looks like that's the aim for the end of 2018. So here you go. It's episode 137, a classic episode of Right at the Fork, Food Cart the Movie, with Damien Magista and Lucas Longacre. Right at the Fork is proud to be supported by Zupan's Markets. For over 40 years, unsurpassed quality from the best meats and wines to the freshest baked goods, flowers, and more, with delicious emphasis on locally sourced items. The best of the Northwest Bounty can be found at your closest Zupans on West Burnside, McAdam, or Lake Grove. 
and at zoopants.com. Eat well, put taste first, love your food. Ringside Steakhouse. Owned by the Peterson family for generations, Ringside Steakhouse has long been a landmark of the Portland landscape, featuring impeccable service that has set the standard in Portland for nearly 75 years. Enjoy the finest aged steaks in Portland, their world-famous onion rings, and even Ringside's legendary late-night happy hour. Whether it's a special occasion, a business dinner, or just a great night out, make a reservation at ringsidesteakhouse.com and by San Pellegrino. Iconic, fresh, sparkling water with an extraordinary Italian heritage. It's a great, refreshing way to enhance any dining experience. Ask for San Pellegrino by name the next time you're having a great meal. Ever since its foundation in 1899, San Pellegrino has been a premium brand synonymous with style. Try it with your next meal and enjoy the difference San Pellegrino can make. Okay. So, Damien, I have right off the bat, I, I s- took a fall the other day and I tried a what? THC stick. And it didn't work at oh, yeah. all. Uh, it didn't no? do a thing. So oh. for $38, nothing. So oh. I'm doing a chiropractor tomorrow. Well, why don't you just, well, then smoke it. <laughs> Gee, that, that's surprising coming from you. <laughs> okay. Anyway, so you're, right. up, you're up in Washington right now, and, and we have Lucas in the studio with us. Yes, sir. We're missing you, and this would be, um, you're our first four-time guest. Four times, that's me. And it's too bad you're not here because we had a special trophy made up and a t-shirt. <laughs> so we have to wait till the fifth time. That's right. If there's a fifth time, you, you need to perform above standards today to be asked back for a fifth time. Okay, I'll do my best. But he's like the uh, Alec Baldwin of Right at the Fork then, like from SNL. Oh, the, or, yeah, that's exactly right, yeah. Mm-hmm. Or the, yeah, yeah, as a matter Steve, fact, or the Steve Martin. Oh, Steve Martin. The, Who's has, right. the, who has the crown now? Maybe Tom, it is Steve Tom, Martin. Tom Hanks is up there. Oh. So, uh-huh. uh, you, you choose, Damien. Which, which <laughs> one of those guys you, you like best? You should just become the fill-in, fill-in host. We can't do this without court because the... I push the buttons. But he I, pushes the buttons. Something tells me, though, Damien could probably pull that off. Yeah. And or, and yeah. or Lucas. I, I have a lot yeah. of audio engineering. Sure, so we yeah. should, The two of you, if we ever have the desire or the need... Does this, does this mean I'm out? Yeah. <laughs> should I leave? <laughs> no, but we it would be... You know, we've... Court, we've been very consistent. You missed one day, I think, right? Yeah, that's right, yeah. You missed one. Mm-hmm. I haven't missed one yet. Nope. And which is... Remarkable. Yeah, but I think it'd be good to have like guest hosts. I think maybe oh, someday ready. you guys do it. You and Damien. I was just telling Damien he needs to start a uh, a podcast for his cannabis oh. company, but he was like, "Yeah, I'm a little busy, dude." <laughs> yeah. yeah, there's no, there's no way. And how I, how I can't do that right now. how would a podcast for a cannabis company do be? Just like oh, it's all lifestyle. It would be like Build a, a slow morning radio show. You know, like. Laughing all Easy the time, but, but no one would get it except the two people. In no, that's the old way of looking at. Um, you know, I listened to your episode with Damien. That's the old attitude for right. cannabis. Yeah. Now it's all about elevated yeah. lifestyle, cooking, music, you know, film. True. True. Right. Yeah. And and you're yeah, yeah. and and you're just such an elevated guy, <laughs> Damien. Yeah. yeah. Right. <laughs> well, you both have back issues, so. Both of you sure. could use some lying down instead of elevation. Do you have back issues too, Damien? Me, yeah, I, yeah, oh yeah, yeah. I, it come, yes, I do. It, um, yeah, yeah. I, I injured it um, just training in uh, training in jujitsu. Um, gosh, years ago, um, it's kind of really stuck with me. 
So you uh, and you were yeah. able? Did you do any of your own um, stunt scenes for this mo- for the movie, the food cart that we're going to talk about here? That's why we're here. Well, I yeah yeah, I did my own stunts, but Damien, uh, oh, yeah. he, he didn't get to act. Oh no, you did act in this one. He got yeah, to play yeah, a part. Uh, before we go yeah. any further, sure. A court and I were not asked. We were. It was implied somewhere along the way. Oh, you guys should be in this. But we never got a formal invitation, right, Court? I mean, I, I think we got to start with this. Well, I, I do got to say, Damien a few times brought up the fact that they needed extras. That right? A I heard of times. that. I heard that. Yeah, but where we were you guys on those we days? We were never given it. We, we were never By, given a, a location By, or a date. Byron invited me to the to the rap party, which I think we're going to talk about, which yes. is the last uh-huh. scene you shot. Yes. Right. But I, I work at night, so I can't go to those things. Anymore. Well, I didn't even get an invite, but that's okay. I kind of oh, feel like now. you did. I posted very clearly <laughs> yeah. several times on Facebook the. Need for our. Uh, <laughs> that is our not. That is not there. an invite. I would expect a personal invite. invite, Chris. We really want you on in the movie uh, to look, have to go to look at Facebook to find it with all the other okay. extras. I'll tell you. I'll tell you what. We'll write you. We'll write you in a role on the uh, feature length version of this. There you go. Okay. Help us get the funding, and you get a role. And, that's, right. a pro- and that's a promise. You got that. You got that, Lucas. Oh yeah. So can I get in okay. on this action? Sure. All, all I want is my own trailer. No, no, I'm just kidding. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I say like, you don't want to be the film, but you want a trailer. Like I think we can hook you up with that. Yeah. And well, you got and you guys have the budget for trailers for all, everybody. So. Right. No, everybody gets the same trailer. It's all just right. one big trailer. So let's start with um, how the idea for this movie came about. As I understand it, it was, and I could be wrong. Sure. Because I was just reading what you guys wrote. <laughs> um, sure. That it was Damien. Damien had an idea for a movie, and then you wrote the script in 15 seconds. It was not too far from the truth. Yeah, Damien had a an idea that you know Damien is as much of you know obsessed over these you know Italian horror films and you know just film in general as I am, and I would go to his place. We'd watch movies and just get drunk, and he uh, pitched to me a couple. Not even a pitch. He just like had this crazy idea for. Uh, uh, it was a, like a, it a was story. like a cannabis podcast conversation. That's how it came like about. A little bit, yeah, 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 oh yeah. And uh, yeah, I think Damien, if you know, Damien just would talk about this idea he had that I thought was a really funny idea. Uh, at the time, I really wasn't looking to create a project, um, and but it was very different uh, than where it ended up because um, mm. if Damien, you want to kind of describe kind of how you came up with the idea. Yeah, you know, I mean, I was it was a few years ago, and um, I was inspired by a friend of mine. His he just did a feature horror film. I, I love I love good horror. I love campy horror. I love I like film and movies, and um, and I had uh, and he he had just finished filming uh, his his film called Buzzard Hollow Beef, which is coming out pretty soon, which is going to be awesome. I've seen the I've seen the cuts of it. Um, and I was really, I was like, man, I want to make my own horror film. I always really had wanted to do that. And I was walking by the food carts. I think it was, you know, it was like during winter and it was kind of gross out and it's typical Portland winter, you know, depressing, gross and dark. And, and it suddenly just kind of this idea started forming my head about like, well, what if I do this movie about this food cart owner and he decides to like, and he starts knocking off his competition by, by killing them and then serving them through his food cart, right? And I called it Food Cart Cannibal. And um, that was kind of the original idea. And um, and that idea sort of progressed and, and changed as they kind of, you know, ruminated in my little 
skull, and uh, and it eventually turned into uh, I think something more um, I think something less campy and more effective and and a little deeper and more thought provoking in food cart. Um, but that that was kind of the the, the genesis of of, of food cart the film and. And as Lucas was saying, I was, you know, you know, he's a filmmaker, and and we, you know, and and uh, you know, we we hang out a lot, and and we just really enjoy film, and and so I started talking about it, and um, and I think, you know, at first it was like food cart cannibal. It's a little too, it's a little too ham-fisted, you know, and it didn't really, I, I don't, you know, and it didn't really take Lucas's interest. And then as it evolved, and we started talking about the story. And um, and I started sort of thinking about other movies that I really you know were I really enjoyed or liked the feel of movies like you know Nightcrawler or it, um, Let the Right One Along and uh, Let the Right One In and it follows in these really beautifully done and shot and sort of thought provoking horror films um, you know that that was sort of the direction I started taking with it and uh, and I think that's when Lucas became um, you know, interested in it and interested in, in working on it. And then at one point he was just like, well, let's just write the script. And I said, okay. And that's where, that's where I needed help because, you know, I'm not a script writer and Lucas has experience doing this. And, and so we just set, we just set a date where I went over to his house and we got pizza and beer and we sat down and I just talked about the film um, the characters, which by this time had been really well fleshed out in the story, had been really fleshed out in my head, so it was really easy. So I basically just dictated the story while Lucas just pounded away on the keyboard. And I think within like an hour or so, we had the first draft of the script. Yeah, wow. yeah. What, so what it was for, it was just really good timing because I was looking for a project coming off of doing, you know, mostly Verte documentary for the last maybe five to seven years of my career. I was missing doing, you know, fiction, narrative, scripted with actors. Um, so, you know, it was good timing. Damien was telling me about this story, and uh, I was looking for a property where I could leverage, you know, my connections in the food world in Portland, uh, as well as the film world, which I, I kind of get frustrated how infrequently there's a crossover of those two communities, and I feel, you know, embedded in both of them. And so when Damien was telling me about this story, I loved the idea, and it seemed very doable something that we could actually, you know, produce ourselves. And I know that Damien has even more connections and goodwill in the food world, so I f figured it was a, a good fit. You can find a lot of that, especially if there's a little megalomania involved. Oh, you know, people, my God, yeah. People getting themselves. <laughs> no, but, um, but the, the, the cool thing what attracted me to the script was it dealt with a lot of these issues of, you know, sustainability and scaling a business and all these things that we'd been covering on the, on the food and travel show, The Original Fair, that I've co-created and had been filming for years, it, you know, it was just a, a different format to express a lot of these same themes, uh, but do it in a more, you know, dark and, and uh, almost comedic way. Uh, and the reason, finally, why I was won over is, as Damien said, it, it started out as a kind of campy slasher film, then turned into something more serious and a little more dramatic. Uh, and that's what I really, I was like, wow, this is something I could really show off my directing and writing chops with. And Damien had it so flushed out already, like the whole three-act structure, the story arc, all that was kind of built into the story that he had already thought. I think it comes from, you know, Damien's a huge film enthusiast, so even though he had never written a script, he knows the rhythms of how those things work. Uh, so him being just like a super fan of the genre, I didn't think, you know, I knew it was a good, it was a good fit. And um, 
we proved it by, like he said, and within the first hour, we kind of had the basic outline and structure. And I said, like, give me a week and I'll turn this into a, you know, a first draft of a script. And by the next day, I had the, the rough draft done. So what, what was your experience with fiction and, and oh, so directing I, and casting outside of uh, documentary? Yeah, I mean, I, I did a couple of shorts in, when I lived in New York City when I was, you know, 22, 24 years old. Um, my whole thing at the time was I would work in news or in, um, you know, reality TV as a crew doing camera, audio, and, um, and I'd save all my money and shoot these little, like, short films on the side just because that was my passion. Uh, that was really the direction I wanted my career to go in, you know, more than 10 years ago. Um, and I won some awards. I actually got uh, second place for uh, best choreographed action sequence in a, a film I did called Beat, which is like a 20-minute short that was an excuse to do a bare-knuckle fight. Um, this is like, I guess it was after Fight Club, but it was like pre the explosion of MMA. I kind of choreographed this whole fight scene that took place. I don't know if you... Uh, New Yorkers out there remember Siberia Bar, in, um, which was in uh, uh, Hell's Kitchen. It was like one of the last great dive bars in that area. But uh, we rented out the place for a night and filmed like a whole fight scene. And I actually won some awards for that one. And I had a couple other you know, short films I'd produced and directed. Uh, but I hadn't done it in a long time because you know, it's very difficult and, you know, and competitive to kind of go up in the industry that way. And I took a really fun, weird detour on my career doing the uh, you know, travel and food uh, uh, show as well as uh, a documentary. So, you know, the, I kind of was in that space in the documentary space for so long that I really miss kind of what my original motivations for getting involved in this, you know, career. And uh, so you guys met through Original Fair. Oh, yeah. Right. So Damien is one of my it. first local contacts that became one of my closest friends. I, I was looking at footage that we filmed when, when uh, I came up. Uh, I think it was for like the second feast. That was the first time I'd uh -huh. been to Portland. And we had footage of Damien and Ryan of Be Local, uh, them at the table, sell, you know, talking about their honey. It was some of the first footage I filmed in Portland was actually Damien and Ryan of Be Local. What is it about Damien? Because, you know, I've met a lot of people too, but I, he's very easy to become friends with. I don't know. We also love the same weird shit. I mean, we watch the same movies. We're both into mixed martial arts. We're, you know, we have the same kind of hobbies. And he, I think, you know, I'll say personally for Damien, he's a, a weird character. And those are the people I try to collect. <laughs> yeah, for, for sure. No, I, I love being around creative folks who are doing really, really interesting things. And, and I think, you know, Lucas and I are definitely, you know, really good friends and, and we work, it's just very easy working with, working with him on, on these projects and, and just like hanging out. And that's a, you know, some people are kind of tedious and it takes energy away from you. Um, <laughs> yeah. For me, Lucas was one of those people that um, I don't feel drained after I hang out with him. You know, I enjoy it. It's, it's, it's nice. And I, and I, it's, it's just very easy. So, uh, oh my gosh. How, yeah, long, did, how long did uh, the process <laughs> take from start to finish? Oh, so it's, it was actually a pretty tight timeline. I mean, I knew on these things that momentum is everything. Like, as I said, I'd done a couple of short films in the past and from my experience, if you can't, you know, if you can't keep the momentum up, it's going to take twice as long as you need. So it, in, maybe in like February is when we really started getting serious about producing it. Uh, do you remember what day we actually got that script finished, Damien? Was it March? Oh, oh I think so. Yeah, that so, sounds about right. So, and also you talked about producing it yourselves and it looks like there's a shoestring budget. 
Yeah. Did you, I mean, was it basically a zero budget? Well, I mean, we, I'd say it's going to be about like $10,000 at the end of the day that's split between, you know, Damien, me, his brother, and uh, Kelly, who's, you know, my uh, uh, co-partner on uh, Original Fair. I, uh, she, I definitely borrowed money from her that I was like supposed to pay back. So I think she just like got her way into getting a credit on the film because I still owe her money for it. I have, yeah. Another, she, <laughs> I have a feeling she's going to want that back. Yeah. Uh, what was that, Damien? Oh, I was going to say another executive producer. Yeah, exactly. Comes out of the woodwork. <laughs> How many executive producers do you have on this? Well, I mean, only really four of us funding it right now. But, oh, okay. um, uh, you know, the, the truth is that it really didn't, we kept mostly in-kind donations. So, like, almost all the crew worked for free, except for, you know, we had to pay a little bit of specialty, like hair and makeup here now and again, and specialty makeup. Um but for the most part, it was all donated, you know, time as well as resources, locations. We had to pay a little bit for the food cart location uh, because uh, the the place we really wanted to, to film at and, and Damien insisted on, which I thought was he was so right, was, uh, you know, the guy that the story takes place around owns a food cart, but he's like way out in, you know, East Portland. Uh, so we found these carts, uh, food carts on Stark and 101st, is it? Yeah, something like that. So like Southeast 101st. Yeah, yeah. And, uh, yeah, my mall 205 there. Yeah, and so, like, I mean, that's, the setting really made a difference. I mean, if you go to the food carts that are, you know, in downtown uh, compared to the ones that are out there, we wanted a place that was very isolated and mm-hmm. lonely because that really feeds into the character's sense of, you know, of not fitting in and his isolation and his struggle. Uh, and th- a, a lesson from indie filmmaking that I'll share with anybody who's interested is, like, uh, you know, you don't have a budget, so what do you do is you find great locations and it makes it look like you spent all this money uh, when in reality it's like, you know, you just kind of got something really cheaply, you know, uh, that looks great. Right. So, and I wanted, you know, I mean, you, we could have, I could have done the downtown carts, but I wanted, for the story, I definitely wanted something that was in basically a shitty location with not much foot traffic, kind of lots of traffic, not really welcoming, kind of like, kind of janky and weird that was a really important part of it because we're not you know this guy's the the main character is, is struggling a little bit you know and he doesn't necessarily all of us you know just because you have a food cart doesn't mean you know you can necessarily afford or have access to one of these prime locations you know and i thought that was an important part of the story so when we um i kind of always had that one in mind in particular in the back of my head and uh, lucas and i drove around for a day just looking at all these other locations and when i Pulled up to this one, he just kind of looks at me. It's like, yeah, um, yeah, this is the one. This is like and, perfect. And that's <laughs> the plight of a lot of food cart trucks. Oh, hell yeah! I mean, or owners, they're not, they're not necessarily. They have to be on their way to something else. Generally speaking, unless you're in a particular pod and you've got a thing that's really working. But the majority of cart owners, I would suspect, I don't know this. Yeah, it's anecdotal to me, but the majority of cart owners are. Struggling in the winter, at least. So oh, yeah. I think you were trying yeah. to portray that. I think that was one of the one of the things I loved about this script is that it was very an honest look uh, at what it's it, what it's like to actually be working in this industry, you know, on your own as this guy. Very similar to like I think what Damien and I are both like entrepreneurs. So taking a lot of our anxieties and a lot of these issues we've dealt with as business owners and and in, in the food world, I think this is it's not talked about enough how hard it, of a struggle it is to you know to make it in the industry. And so that was, for me, that resonated greatly on that script that I wanted to get out. And I think Damien, we kind of were very similar with our approach in that. Yeah, absolutely. I think there's, um, you know, people, so when you have a business, it's really, it's just this really funny kind of dynamic 
happens. And, and a lot of our, you know, a lot of my friends are, are business owners and chefs and stuff like that. So they'll relate to this, but you, the public does not see the struggle behind the scenes. They assume that everything's rosy and everything's great. And, oh, if you have this business, you're set up, you must be making money. That is not the case. It is really, really difficult. And there's a lot of struggle there. And, um, you know, and we see, I mean, as we're seeing now, we're seeing pods closing. We see restaurants close all the time. I mean, this is not a, just because you have this doesn't mean that you're super well off. And, you know, a part to reflect this is the, is the car that the lead character drives. It's not a nice car. It's a shitty old eighties Toyota Corolla. You know, and and that, that was also by D- really Damien's for, brother. That was, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, that was really, and that was really important because I wanted people. You know, I want people to understand that that just because you have a business doesn't mean you're making it. And generally, it means you're. It kind of means you're just kind of squeaking by. You know, especially it's really in, in that business. Um, no one wants to see a struggle. No. It's, it's all about right. putting nope. the best foot forward. So, I mean, there are a right. lot of restaurants that are up till opening minute are yeah. just crazy. And, uh, and then the minute the doors open, how are you? And, yeah. the, and the harps start playing, and that's not the way it is. And that's, uh, that is really kind of what a lot of the back story of the script is this guy's struggling to, and he wants his dream is to own a brick and mortar. And he wants to, like, you know, he has this, like, beautiful dream of cooking that he wants to... Uh, uh, to get to, but you know, so he has to make some really hard moral moral decisions uh, to supposedly achieve his dream. And by the time he gets there, to see how you know the public exalts him and celebrates him, and he knows that it's all built on this foundation of like you know, of of some nefarious acts is just what ends up destroying him in some ways. So let's take a minute uh, right here, Chris, to talk about one of our favorite places to eat, Ringside Steakhouse. It's been a favorite for a lot of people. For uh, they're celebrating their 75th year next year, which is awesome. Yeah, who else? I guess what? Huber's maybe in Portland that has been around that long, but right. no one's been uh, carrying the torch for service as long as uh, Ringside Steakhouse. And as of, uh, and very recently also the Fish House, which unfortunately closed. Yeah. So they were, um, if, if you haven't heard the story yet, they, in that space over at Fox Tower, the... Um, the building, the a tenant wanted more space, and the Petersons decided that uh, they didn't have a younger generation that was interested in operating the restaurant business. So they decided to just stick with what they know really well. Mm-hmm. Not that they didn't know the fish house well, but they got an offer they couldn't refuse, I guess, for the space. And uh, and now they're they're going to operate the steakhouse solely. The good news here is if you're a big fan of the onion rings, <laughs> it's all about those the have, onion those rings. have always been in both places. And I, I had just this past weekend, I introduced a friend of mine to the onion rings. And if, if, if you've never had the ringside onion rings, you are missing out because they are perfection. I've, I had friends, two sets of friends here last month who enjoyed that, but also the lobster mashed potatoes, oh, which yeah. you, could, you could still get at Ringside Steakhouse. We did that too. And they have the after nine o'clock happy hour mm-hmm. menu, which is just as good as the Fish House is better than the Fish House's uh, happy hour menu too. Yeah. So, and only that, of course, classic states, service, and, and atmosphere. Did you know, I don't know if you knew this, Court, because... You have to be paying a little bit of attention. Portland Business Journal, Ringside One Best Restaurant in Portland. Uh, and a few categories as well. Not only Best Restaurant, but I think Best Service, Best Decor, 
That might have been it. Oh, I, the, may, I may be wrong on that, but listeners are certainly welcome to, to call me out. If yes, certainly. Easily the best service in Portland that I've experienced myself. I think so. Is at the steakhouse. It's, so. old, it's old school service. Right. It's, you know, it's asking the right questions and knowing what you like when you come in, if mm-hmm. you've been there multiple times. So yeah, Ringside Steakhouse over on West Burnside. What's the the website is? uh... RingsideSteakhouse.com. Yeah, there you go. That easy, and that's where you can also go and set up a reservation today. Yeah, and you can do that as individuals, or if you have a corporate outing, you're going to impress. And you know, but that for me is critical. Like even in success, the success is never what it it, you think it's going to be. Because I've had like success and failure. I think any business. You know, even a, definitely a successful business entrepreneur tell you, I failed a lot before I succeeded. And uh, I think that's a huge part of it, that even the success is never what you think it's going to be. And that's kind of like... Or what you what think we, it is. Yeah, a exactly. A lot of people, so you, you cited it a moment ago, I think you did, Damien. There are a lot of people who look at restaurants and think they're killing it. They're yeah. just, you know, they're, but you don't see a lot of chefs in this city driving Mercedes and taking major vacations. They're, they're working very hard. Yeah, so I mean, this was like an, a way to have fun with a lot of those themes and anxieties, like we were saying, and uh, and I, I do feel like it. You know, we always intended to put them in the script, but it was amazing that as we oh, sorry, I'm not allowed to use that word, am I? No, you're fine. It was incredible that uh, as we started creating incredible is the next one. Oh, it's gonna it, go. Yeah, uh, I like <laughs> that we should just use like only, you can only communicate with a few words. Well, minimalism. <laughs> no, um, no, the um, no, but going through the script, I could not believe how when you know whenever you film something. What you know, uh, anytime you're just hoping you get there in the right way and you kind of change course as you go to adapt to what's working and what's not. But I couldn't believe how these themes became super pronounced. Like more and more, the stuff that we really wanted to put into the script just became more and more on the forefront. And that felt really great. Like, you know, you have a good project when a lot of the stuff you really intend to do not only works, but works way better than you even intended. And some of that's, you know, being, I think, you know, you got it. It's a, a lot of timing. It's a lot of luck. And as you know, with the discourse that's happening now in Portland, we didn't even intend to have a lot of this appropriation and race be a part of the script. Yeah. It was just kind of there, a necessary part of it, but it wasn't supposed to be the forefront. And just because of a lot of this discussion and dialogue that's happening in Portland right now, it seems like we made a really good film at a really good time. And oh, it addresses yeah. that. Oh, yeah. So can you? So can we talk about the film without spoiling it? Sure, Obviously, yeah. you don't want to spoil it. No, I mean, in some ways, I think the plot is less as important as kind of the character journey anyway. It's more of a character study than it is like the the plot points. So, you know, we can we can talk a lot about it without giving away too much. I think. Oh, that's right. We want people to want to go see it. Oh, yeah. So that's the that's the key. Um, So when you're doing this sort of thing, there's a little because you're you're operating on a certain budget. Mm-hmm. And you're using locations that are a little bit off the cuff, and people people oh, yeah. who are not necessarily professional actors, and and props that you oh we can get this. Yeah. So there are probably quite a few things that just happened on set that changed the course of that scene. Oh that sure. Kind of fun that that, that kind of came about. That makes me think of a kind of a hilarious story. How Damien, this being his you know first film he's produced, he. Uh, he just, for some reason, I never asked him to do it because he was in. He was doing a lot of the art direction, so he purchased all these breakaway glass <laughs> products. I mean, I, for no reason. I didn't even ask him to. He just got really into it or something. And uh, I, yeah, what, I like, why'd you do we that? Have them. I mean, there's, <laughs> there's a fight scene. You gotta have breakaway stuff. <laughs> yeah. So, but the funny thing is, I in the in the script there was never any call for it. It was all about this struggle over a knife that happens between this like crazy drifter guy and the and the main character and. 
So, but because we had it on set and I had these things, I thought, you know, this would actually really up the drama of the scene. So I choreographed all like incorporating all these different breakaway glass and mugs and all these things. And it became what was supposed to be kind of a bloodless struggle over a knife became this, I mean, we shy away from gore as much as possible, but it became a really, you know, vicious, violent struggle with, you know, the only scene we really have blood in, I think maybe one other scene like, and, uh, and it was funny because so I, I, I choreograph action scenes. I, you know, trained in stage combat. I, you know, I took martial arts. So for me, this was a, a place to play. Um, and I'll say that. So I, I was a little worried about punishing the main actor because uh, he, he is, was not trained in stage fighting. Uh, Amir, he's a very talented young man, but, you know, that's just something you have to learn. Um, so I felt very uncomfortable teaming him up with somebody who also wasn't trained. So what I did is I just casted myself in the role. So it was essentially me working with him to make sure it was done safely, but man, it looks really brutal. I, you know, when we were, yeah. uh, when we were filming the the, the final shot of the night, uh, is it's supposed to be just like this one p- blood dripping down the center of my head, and we, you know, we it was just kind of a cutaway shot, so I didn't think much on it. But the 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 makeup act, uh, the makeup um, hair and makeup artist uh, Catherine Ross, who is super talented. She oh, somehow she somehow lucked out oh, to have this drop of blood go right down my nose. That is, it's it's a really creepy, incredible shot, and we're definitely going to use it in the final cut. Because well, I think to be great at that, yeah. you have to be pretty good with blood oh, as yeah. a makeup artist. Right? Yeah, but so, she's like, yeah. it's it's you never know. Like I, one of the things that was difficult for me is, I, you know, I'm still relatively new to Portland. I've been here for a few years, but uh, I don't have a deep bench of people to rely on. So this film really introduced me to some of the incredible talent that is in this city that you know m- most people work for very free or cheap just because they like the project but uh catherine was introduced to us uh i think through the oregon media producers association i reached out to them because i'm a member and i said oh my god i need somebody for tomorrow so i just i uh, reached out to them and they connected me w- to her and i'll say catherine showed up the first night i told her maybe it'd be like an hour at midnight and um it, you know it goes till five in the morning she was there till five in the morning the first night and i felt terrible i'm like i'm sorry i guess i miss you know misjudged um, and she said, no, it's cool. I love this. This seems like an interesting project. I like you guys. So she kept coming back and to the point where we actually casted her as one of the characters in the film because we just liked her so much. Um, but that's yeah. like Portland all over. I mean, that's the kind of attitude you get in this town is this sense of, a you know, camaraderie indie filmmaking that I have not experienced since I was in Brooklyn in my twenties. Like, I, I think it's very cool because we're all used to seeing these people collaborate on food, yeah. right? And doing what they do, but to go into a different area of art because they're both they both involve yeah. art um but we've but got a lot damien, of support from and, the... and damien has a yeah. lot of contacts if yeah. anybody has contacts it's damien and oh, yeah. so i've got i've got a few here and there right so how many of these how many of the people who appear in the movie were actual professionals versus damien's friends well that's a good question so we had <laughs> a, most of the principal cast was trained actors um and casting mm-hmm. for that was interesting but um but we also had a mixture of of non-actors people who've never acted before and i felt confident you know directing actors like that because i'd worked in documentary the last 10 years and for me uh getting a performance out of a non-actor is what i was doing all the time it was just done in a less of you know controlled setting but you still have to get somebody to do something on camera for you and part of that is just allow them to feel comfortable and if you can create a space where they and that's why i think our skeleton crew and no budget actually helped us because it was, yeah. there was only like three or four people on crew and everybody knew each other and it was very nice. And then you have trained actors who are really bringing insanely good performance. Uh, our lead uh, 
actor Amir was just always he just it shows you what happens when you get trained actors that are talented. Uh, Courtney uh, Kavanaugh, who is the the lead actress. I mean, you get these people who are super talented, very underused in the industry. And uh, they just bring so much life and performance to the character. All of a sudden, you have these non-actors who get to play off them. Um, so I, yeah. I felt I knew I could I, I could find an interesting mix. And I'll say some of the non-actors, like so Byron Beck, this is his first role, and oh my God, does he knock it out of the park? Like he, um, I mean, we knew he just kind of had to play a version of himself, uh, and just getting him to be comfortable on camera. But you know, he has the chops. It's there. Oh, it's I just think creating... he's very comfortable on camera. Oh yeah, but you know, the thing is that he recognized towards the end of the shoot. I actually did a pickup uh, shoot with him last week, and it was probably one of the best performances he gave because he finally realized, like, oh my God, if I just relax and be myself, that's all I got to do. And it was like so much of the journey with him was to get him just to to feel comfortable portraying himself on camera or like a and heightened there, version. There was of a lot of. There was a lot of pressure for him with that particular character oh, as yeah. well. I know he took it because of my relationship to it and, and you know, who it represents. Um, you know, because the, the character is loosely based on, on Josh Ozerski, who's a, you know, food writer, uh, last wrote for Esquire and had moved to Portland uh, several years back, and that's where I met him. And, uh, you know, he, he was just very kind. Him and his wife were just very kind to me. And, uh, you know, I immediately sort of um, just really uh, had a connection with him. And he unfortunately uh, passed away a couple months after moving to Portland. And it was, a, um, you know, it was kind of a huge, huge loss. And I actually, it's still, it's, it's still kind of really, um, it's tough for me. You know, I, he was just one of those people that was just, you know, I knew him for a short time, but he just had a really profound and deep effect on on myself and and um, yeah. And so anyway, so his so Byron Byron recognized the importance of that character, and I think he really and he expressed it to me a few times that you know he really wanted to play it uh, well for me, and and he did a great job. So you know, Byron, yeah, if you're yeah. listening, you did a great job. The film is going to be dedicated to Josh, I believe. I we discussed yeah. doing it. We haven't actually put it in yet, but I, I think that was a yeah. huge motivator for Damien. And uh, that's where Court and I could have come in. What do you mean? No disrespect to Josh Ozerski, but we, we could have dedicated, dedicated to you guys to us because we weren't in it. <laughs> I'll say you know, I'll, I'll concede it to Josh. <laughs> <laughs> I say, well, no, let's do the feature, guys. Like anybody once once in at this point, I'm like, we, you know, we already filmed 30 minutes. I'm, uh, I, another, I'm uh, just giving you a hard time. <laughs> Because Damien, both of you had mentioned it like six times, and I just watched the whole thing happen. And of course, I'm not readily available. Actually, you know what? what? I got to back up. Damien, you did ask a couple of times, and I wasn't in town. Uh-huh. Yeah. yeah. Uh-huh. See? Uh-huh. I knew it. <laughs> well, I'm humble enough to admit that and, and, and have a shitty enough memory to just remember <laughs> it right now. No, but I mean, it, it's interesting, though, how many, like I said, there's a, a mix of actors and non-actors and so much of what we got we intentionally wanted to put people in the food world in the film like for example alan weiner who's a friend of both damien and mine is one of the most talented photographers locally here episode something we just listened to his like two months ago yeah yeah so yeah super talented photographer um and so we needed a food photographer well we needed a photographer at the final event and so I just requested Alan. I was like, Alan, can you please show up? Take a few behind-the-scenes photos for us because that's super valuable. And, um, and we'll just give you a cameo. And so Alan got to act as Alan in the film, which was amazing. I mean, just seeing somebody like him in there. Uh, and we also got to kind of take our digs at some of the social media, you know, some of the kind of oh, things that, that annoy us. You know, so we, we intentionally casted people that were, you know, part of the industry so they could be somewhat in on the joke. 
because we, you know, we don't want to come out here attacking the food industry. These are our friends and, and colleagues. Um, so we wanted to make sure that they were part of the process so they would feel included instead of us like, you know, taking pot shots from the outside. And I, you know, I never appreciate anybody who, you know, if you're going to criticize something, you know, be in on the joke. It, it helps. Yeah. And was yeah, there, I mean, we def- there, there definitely are some, you know, there's some, we definitely push some buttons and there's, you know, oh, poking yeah. fun at stuff, but, but it's, I think it's in a, in a way that we all know, we're all aware of, we've all taken part in it. In fact, I mean, we are a part of it, yeah. you know, and it, I think it's really important for us to, to be able to have a sense of humor about it and, and to look at it and, and have fun with it. I mean, there's some, there's one scene in particular I watch, I can watch it over and over again. I laugh so hard because it just encapsulates this really just beautiful sort of ridiculousness that is that can be the food scene, you know. So, so when people watch it, I want to under, want them to understand that we're not. It's not coming from a mean spirited place. It's coming from a place of observation. This is what it is, and it's and really, if you step back and take a look at it, it's really pretty funny and ridiculous. So I, I think it's easier it to be. Fun. I think it's easier to have fun with things. More so than mm-hmm. people, although you can do it with people. Sure. But there's mm-hmm. le- less opportunity for people taking offense. I think everybody realizes some of the absurdities yeah. of the food business here, especially yeah. here. Well, I do feel like... The, but they're also endearing. Those same things, the, the same things that are yeah. endearing are yeah. also ridiculous. I think the food community will be some of our biggest supporters of the film because they're going to get, they're, they're going to be like, yes, this is my world and it is ridiculous, but we also champion it. I mean, the idea is we're making an entire short film that is focused really around what it's like to work and live in the food world. So, so that brings me to a question I was just going to ask is, is well, and a larger, the, the big question is what's your real purpose other than a creative outlet here? Is there a commercial purpose to this? And secondly, did you cast a lot of people like Byron and others because you knew that after the film was released, you'd get some social media exposure oh my out God, of it yeah. to help sell it. So Yeah, I mean, the commercial aspect is, you know, I like this idea as a short film. The What we wrote is really good as a short film, but it also is a really good first act to a, a bigger feature film, which, you know, as Damien and I were going, I thought well, this really could work. So, yeah, I mean, I would love to turn this into something bigger. Um, but also, I just finished writing a feature screenplay called Baby Blue that's really more of like a noir that takes a rural noir in, you know, in mid-America, uh, that's more like a Coen Brothers thing. Uh, so I was uh, thinking about how do I get to make this feature? I thought, well, I need to prove myself in this arena, so I'll do this short. But I did not expect to, f- as, to fall in love with this short as much as I did. I mean, this is just, I think it has possibility for so much more. And I was very strategic in who I decided to bring on board, knowing that they would add more than just value of, of an actor or character. I also tried to, and I think Damien was crucial in, in helping me with this, was, uh, you know, how do we add value to this to get it out there in, for example, being on this podcast here as, as one of, of doing the marketing and PR part that is I've always failed at in my previous efforts. I always just did something because it was a cool art idea. And then afterwards, I'd be like, hmm, what should I do with that? And I'm like, I'll try to get into a festival. And then it's kind of like it's seen by 50 people and disappears. Uh, and I feel like nowadays there's so many more opportunities to, you know, to have conversations around these things. That's why I love the podcast world. I love the, you know, I have a show with PBS that gets, you know, millions of views on an episode online. I mean, there's an opportunity now to take something and really get it out there. So uh, this is my goal now with this effort. And this is why I knew Damien would be a really good film partner, not only because he's created 
businesses and seen them through. I mean, that's it takes so much effort, right, to to see anything through. Um, but he also is, is kind of a wizard at at uh, the marketing and and angle of 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 business and production. And so already, I mean, we've had more kind of articles and press uh, before we even released the film than I've had in, on stuff that I've, you know, got into yeah, festivals and been there, screened. I yeah. think there's a nice buzz. So let's talk about Nuts and Bolts. We're sure. recording this uh, about a month before you're yeah. going to release. Um, and yeah. we'll, and this will stream right about. We're going to try to figure out exactly when it releases. Yeah. Where are people going to see the movie? That's a great question. I mean, my strategy right now um, is, you know, we want to do a, a kind of a VIP thank you screening of the of the short next month in September. Uh, we were we're talking with um, some of the uh, the people over at Feast because we are big fans of theirs. Uh, we wouldn't want to actually do an event at there; it'd be more of like an after party thing, uh, and just kind of do a VIP invite only for the people that were a part of the film that helped out, but also just for, you know, the local, uh, you know, uh, VIP people, the people that are in the film world and the food world who, you know, like I said, I've been trying to bring these two worlds together uh, more and more. And I think this would be an amazing opportunity, sorry, to introduce the, um, you know, these, these people that so rarely get in the same room. And it's frustrating to me uh, because they're doing in great work in both these sectors. And I think it's time to kind of bring everybody together. So this is a good excuse to do it. Yeah. Well, you've, you've put all over the world, you've put the food, the producers on television. Yeah. And it's, it's an so important this, part. Is, this is just a different way to do it. And it's, you know, Portland is a very creative community. Yeah. So it's, it's a natural, it's an, uh, it's a natural way to, to highlight our scene is, in fiction, I mean, as it's well. it's one of the coolest uh, scenes. I mean, I, I I was in Brooklyn in like the early two thousands, and there was a really good good like scene in, of film and art happening. Uh, and it's you know you can't you can't create this stuff; it just kind of happens. And I feel like Portland that's happening right now. Right, there's this great not only a food, but there's just a really good art scene happening. The indie film scene is insanely cool. Like there's an energy I've not felt in years. And uh, I think that's more and more, it's just going to grow and, you know, eventually it's probably going to, you know, what is it, peak and tip and whatever. But right now, the more we can get all these people who are doing great work in their own little sectors together and collaborating, I, you know, the cool stuff's going to come from it. So you mentioned how you would release it to VIPs and so forth, but yeah. where can the, gen where oh, okay. are the general public well, going to go the, see it? The issue is we will actually do want to make money off this film and make a buzz off of it. So uh, I, I really want to uh, tackle the festival circuit. I have a feeling that this film, as much as Portland's going to love it, um, I'm worried about uh, festivals at first recognizing it. So what I was going to do, uh, the plan Damien and I discussed, was uh, targeting European and Asian festivals, especially ones that revolve around food, because I have a feeling they'll kind of get the dark humor and the, the whole food connection a little better first. Uh, so I'll, yeah, I have a few targeted. Um, the film and, definitely is, has more of a sort of, I mean, just by virtue of, my interest in the film is definitely more of a, there's, there's definitely a Euro vibe to it, yeah. Euro horror sort of vibe to it, that I think will resonate there fairly well. Not to say that American audience won't, won't get it and love it, but I think they will, but I think, I think definitely targeting, targeting the, the European circuit priors, it would be fun. And there's some really amazing festivals overseas. Actually, some of the, my, some of the weird, like some weirder, more kind of quirky festivals can be found. Uh, especially even in some of the Asian markets too, and that's where if we can get 
uh, into a few of those festivals, get some buzz and awards, and then kind of do a victory lap through uh, through the United States is my strategy. But in some ways, it's also an excuse to, you know, after traveling the world for the show for the last few years, uh, you know, the more we can bring, you know, attach ourselves to some of these movements and communities globally, I mean, it's such an opportunity. And the audiences are everywhere now. I so mean, let's say you get into a bunch of food festivals around yeah. the world. That's something you have to pay for out of pocket, hoping you're going to win. Oh, yeah, How yeah. does that work? No, the film you festivals you do. No, well, that's yeah. what happens with film festivals. You, you typically have to pay to get in. But the good news is if you can build up press and buzz and marketing uh, you know, and submit to a few and get in, once uh, that, the success builds on itself. So uh, the yeah. idea is you get a few big wins and then after that, they pay you to, they actually uh, request to sh- screen your film and then they'll fly you over and then they'll put you up in the hotels. So if you actually right. have a, a worthy film, um, it kind of snowballs and takes care of itself. That's why I've been really grateful to Damien and what he's brought as a producing partner is he's really brought that, uh, that sense of, you know, creating this, the narrative around this, the film itself. And that's something I never even thought to do in the past was, you know, it's not just having a good film. That's never enough. Just like as in any restaurant or chef will tell you, right? The food is not enough. It's not about the art. It's about also the story around it, how you mm-hmm. market it, how you sell yeah. it. So uh, that's really what we've been trying to craft now is the story behind the production, why this film's different, why it's interesting. Um, and I feel super strongly about the uh, the, the film itself. I mean, we, with a, our director of photography, Sean Conley, who's a local guy here, who he's a teacher over at um, Open Signal. I met him because I was going to all these, um, what is it called, uh, uh, holiday parties in December. And if you guys remember, they kept canceling them left and right. But I was mm-hmm. going, because of the weather, but I was going to them. And it, it was funny, I just kept running to the same person, Sean, at all these events. And we, it was the first time we really met each other. Um, and so when I had to find a person to be you know, a director of photography, again, I don't have a deep bench here locally. So I thought I'd just like, throw it out to Sean because I saw it's real online. It looked interesting. And I can... I, it was the smartest decision both Damien and I ever made on this film was getting Sean involved because if you go yes. b- looking at the dailies and the stuff that Sean was doing, I, I was a little uncomfortable with the decisions he was making because it was, it was really extreme in some ways. And then going back and looking at the dailies just blew me away. It was like how, how great a work this young guy could do with so little. Um, that's what yeah, scared me at, actually. He threw he's so little. There, he's very precise and... Um, you know, has a particular vision that just and understood what I was looking for out of the look as well, which was really important. Um, and he did a great job of understanding that and capturing that during the filming. I mean, he um, he has a great instinct and a fantastic eye. His ability to understand light and color um, is uh, far beyond uh, you know anything I really expected or or have seen. He really, really is a, he's a very talented craftsman and, and we are lucky to have him. He yeah. really, and a lot of this really was filmed at night, the, right? The, the oh, look and feel yeah, this film. is 75% at, at night, night or yeah, more. So that takes talent to, to light that. But that's, that's how we got him is on, well, he lit it with almost nothing. I couldn't believe it. And some of it's the new technology that's there, but it was making me feel somewhat uncomfortable at times where I was like, Sean, are you sure this is going to work? Because he showed up with only like three little lights and, uh, you know, and, um, and no assistant. It was just him. And I was like, I can try to get you an assistant. Um, and I was directing and doing audio at the same time, which I do not recommend. <laughs> Never again in the future will I do that. And I don't recommend any other person try it. But, um, 
But so Sean shows up with nothing, and uh, and then we would go back and look at the at the dailies, and I could not believe the the you know like as Damien said, the precision of exposure and color. Um, and the funny thing is, if you go to Sean's Instagram account, look at what he does. It's a uh, human. What is it? Um, do you remember what his Instagram is? Because I want to promote it because it's so freaking beautiful. Oh, sleeping, sleeping House? Oh, Sleeping House. If you go to Instagram, go yeah. to Sleeping House and check out his, uh, his Night Vibe series. I mean, the whole, one of the reasons we thought he'd be a good fit is that if you look at this, the stuff he's creating, with, and it turns out most of those shots he's taking on his phone. I was, I was just blown away. The guy's so freaking talented. Yeah, well, nowadays, I think phones have, I've, we've said this before, yeah. the, as much technology and as much... Um, you can get enough at, more, as much out of any camera yeah. or anything they had 10 years ago. Yeah. I mean, that's just incredible about us being able to pull this film off. I can guarantee you festivals are going to see this and thinking we, you know, we had a budget, I can guarantee you, of uh, at least $100,000 or more just from well, the look great. and sound of it and the, the talent involved in it. But when it comes down to it, it was made with like very little. All right. So um, I have yeah. this question for sure. you. You guys obviously are excited about it and you're yeah. biased. Have you had... Anyone in the industry look at it and say, "Hey, you got you got something here." Yeah, well, my uh, well, you know, originally I shared the, the film script with um, the first draft with Tim Williams, who's yeah, the yeah, um, yeah, film yeah. commissioner here, and he uh-huh. is actually one of the reasons the the film ends where it ends. I actually had a little extra scene I had put on there mm-hmm. that was more of a weird cliffhangery kind of thing, and he was like, "That it does not appeal to the character." He's like, "This is a character study. Make it about the character. Lose that." So he gave really critical notes on it and he's been a supporter of it he actually showed up on set one day and i didn't yeah, realize that we have the we have the film commissioner on set like what yeah that was okay. pretty cool but my one of my closest friends from college is an editor and um he does like you know he worked with um, um michael moore for years and he does uh, like mob wives and he's kind of the guy they bring on to make the film or whatever series like work they're like we have an issue bring this editor in, he'll fix it I gave him the film and he was like, I was expecting him to kick her asses and instead he loved it. He's actually now working pro bono on it uh, just to give his input because he's also just a nice guy. But um, he essentially is telling me how to, you know, me and Damien how to make it better. But he's like, you guys have a great film. There's, you don't really need to change too much. Just do these little tweaks here and there. That's and that great. for me was like, oh my, that was like a weight lifted off my shoulder. And, and having an, an endorsement yeah. from Tim. I think it's, it's oh, that was huge. Too. That's when I knew we, it was worth filming. I mean, when Tim, I was again expecting that Tim to come back with like a lot of criticisms and notes, and instead, you know, more encouragement. He's kind of that guy anyway, but you know, he's not going to put his his attention behind something that isn't worthy. So where do and people I do wanna, go ahead? Oh, and, D- and just to, just to add, you know, the strength of the script and the story uh, is how we got our actors oh, as true. well. I mean, they. Yeah love the script we have a really something i'm really really proud of is we have a very diverse group of actors and um you know these these folks came in and uh you know agreed to do it for you know basically nothing and um you know and i and i think that was just a a, a symptomatic of the the strength of the script and the story and um you know, which was really encouraging because I was—I didn't know how. I've never made a film. I had no idea how you got actors or how you know how they would respond, and and people were just into it. I mean, Courtney flew in and stayed with us from New York. I mean, you know, these are they—they they really committed. I mean, you know, we you know Samson and Sasha and Carolyn and Courtney and Amir and and if I'm you know and Byron, they all just went all in, and it's just uh it was really encouraging. So I knew, you know, I, I knew that we had something. Yeah. So do you have a website online? Because we're not, we haven't yet specified to people 
I assume by the time this streams, we'll have a better idea of where oh, yeah. people can access well, it. So we've been sharing just like on the Facebook page, just because it had so many of the um, uh, like behind the scenes and all the stuff we've been updating. Uh, and I'm gonna do my best to have a uh, trailer out next week. Um, uh, Damien, do we have an actual website, or should we just we we, we don't we've been developing? Just, but. You know, I just haven't had time to knock one out, yeah. and I don't I don't see it really happening anytime soon. So I would say if you go to Facebook, it's it's under Food Cart Film. Okay. Um, and you can see, yeah, you'll be able to see lots of behind the scenes and um, whatever else we we have there. So, fantastic. We just have a couple of minutes left, if that. Um, anything else you want to impart about the film that people should uh, get excited? You've already. I have. I have one that, sure. uh, that we haven't even talked about. This is the Damien is doing the soundtrack. Oh, that's it's, right. He did. He did the music for the film. Yeah, which is awesome. So yeah, that's something that. Um, so. I, a lot of people don't know this, but um, I've you know been a musician for a long time. Uh, I played you know when you grow up in Olympia, you know in the uh, early '80s to late '90s, you you work in restaurants and you play in punk rock bands. Sure. Um, but uh, uh, yeah, so I've always wanted to score a movie, and of course, why wouldn't I score my own movie? Um, it's been a lot of fun, and um, I can't wait to. Uh, to see it, it really what you learn is what you learn is how much music and the score actually really influences the film and and uh, uh, and the audience. It's a lot of fun. And did you did you do some experimentation? Did you do different tracks for different scenes and see how that worked in editing? Oh yeah, yeah, that's oh, yeah, a, yeah, always yeah. an evolving be, thing. Yeah, I have a yeah. whole bunch of so I start I started out by just doing um, you know it's just laying down a bunch of sort of ideas to. Basically built around the characters, and then uh, and this was before we uh, had anything edited together. And then now that we have a, a pretty decent edit, I'm going back and I'm kind of moving things around, changing things, talking some things out, creating new things. So a lot of experimentation, um, but it's a, it's it's a lot of fun doing it, and it's 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 going to be really cool. Well, Damien bought a uh, what is that analog weird. Uh Oh yeah. What what is it? Yeah, what do you call my, that thing? Yeah, I bought myself an old uh, cord analog synth, the kind where you have like the actual cords to plug it into the different areas of the circuit, so you can make oh. different you know sounds That's and tones and that sort of thing, and and bust it out like a bunch of my old my old gear. So uh, yeah, it's it's been fun. My grandfather used to do the uh, sound for Broadway plays, and the the those cords that get plugged yeah. into different places back in the sixties. Yeah. Were yes. in, it, well, it's a unique sound, and that's there's a lot of this like retro stuff, yeah. you know, Stranger Things and all the, and it follows have these great throwback sounds where it's like an updated modern version, and that was da- what yep. Damien's idea was for it. And once I started hearing some of those tracks underneath it, I was like, this is great. It just makes a weird, unsettling feeling. Did you do some Anata uh, place uh, product placement in the movie? Shoot, did we? Oh man. No, we didn't. Oh, we I don't think we had anything that. branded at the time. Oh, mm-hmm. man. Oh, well. I, I can't believe you lost that opportunity. <laughs> I, you can just do, you can do some uh, we'll, cut-ins right we'll now. We'll have samples other, at the other, uh, screen. Other things do make an appearance, like, you know, like there's a Kim Jong grilling T-shirt that oh, shows yeah. up. There might may or may not be a Finex pan that shows up. You know, there's a few things thrown here and there to 
for our buds, you know. Yeah, and we have most. Of, we try to get locations that were so we have uh, Renatas in there. We have um, mm-hmm. uh, what is it? Uh, Plaza del Toro is where we have the big finale, which they were the yep. Gorons were so generous to donate that space to us, yes. and it looks beautiful on film. Like, it really makes it look like we dropped all this cash because of you know that location is beautifully designed. So mm-hmm. it, you know the support of the food community is going to be front and center. In the, so where else? So those are good. Those are yeah. some good, pretty spots. Uh, yeah, where else did we film? Um, you there, said yeah, there was out. an out. There was an outside scene that got crashed by some drunken women. Where was that? Oh, that well, that was just in uh, industrial Northwest. It was so okay. funny. We, uh, you know, intentionally tried to shoot in a place that was quiet and out of the way, and you know, looked very sparse because we wanted to feel kind of isolated and empty. And of course, we film. You know, this whole thing was supposed to pay, take place during the winter and be rainy. And yeah. the one, the first day we started filming is like it, it didn't rain again since. But um, yeah. of course, then the, the day we filmed was one of the hottest days at that point of the year. And it was a Wednesday and that location was empty a month before. And then as soon as we like started rolling camera, it was just party time. People would just, you know, even though we had permits to have the street to ourselves, we had so many people just driving onto set and just like plowing through and these loud, drunken girls demanding to be on camera. I mean, that's the thing about filmmaking is you got to take it in stride because You have no goes, experience with that sort of thing. No, but, you know, everything goes wrong, right? I mean, but, <laughs> but isn't it like any, you know, filmmaking is just like any other, anything that you try to create. Like, as soon as you get started, everything will go wrong. And just accept that and deal with it as it happens and, and don't lose your shit. And, and also like, try to turn it into something that goes right. So, oh, yeah. No, know, in so many ways, that's where the best Write them into that, the yeah. script. Yeah, that's where so, the best moments happen is when instead of like getting what you thought you wanted, you get what you actually got. Right. And that's typically when you get a better film. And I think that's like that for in many ways, whatever, whether it's film or food, you know, the, the, the accidents can be the best thing. You just have to be open to it and you got to suffer through it. And, uh, you know, this was such a difficult, this is definitely the most difficult shoot I ever did uh, in the narrative se- uh, sense. Um, and so, ma- so much of that is because, um, you know, we had very, very little people working on it. I mean, this kind of production usually requires like 10 times the amount of people. Um, but we took advantage of our leanness, like our skeleton crew is why I think that worked so well. Good. Well, yep. we're looking forward to seeing it. Yeah. I've been, we've been hearing about it. Damien, well, you know, maybe doing, you'll get the you VIP. You both have been doing it. See, I know both of you guys, so we've <laughs> talked about it. But yeah. even out there in the buzz world, yeah. I think a lot of people are looking oh, forward good. to seeing it. So thank you, guys. Thanks for joining us from up there in uh, Olympia. Where, where are you exactly? T- Tacoma. Oh, I'm, I'm sitting, I'm sitting in, at our facility in Tacoma okay. right now. And, yeah. All right. Well, so. cool. Thanks. And Lucas for coming in oh, the studio. Oh, my pleasure, yeah. Nice to have you in here. Yeah, it's interesting to be on a food show, you know. Yeah. As a filmmaker, I it's relish really the opportunity. It's a personality show. It's more okay, of a personality Okay, I feel you. Yeah, that's true. There's no food yeah. in here. We're not talking uh, recipes. Yeah, it's not, that's not allowed. <laughs> Good. We, you know, we try to steer clear of that. I'll expect my uh, my four-time guest plaque to show up in the mail here. Sure, yeah. We'll, yeah. we'll, we'll mail it. Send the, t- send the food okay. cart t-shirts first, and then we'll get those oh. out to you. <laughs> Okay, sounds good. All right. Thanks so much. Right at the Fork is hosted and produced by Chris Angeles and Court Johnson. Connect with us on Twitter and Instagram at Food Podcast PDX or on Facebook at Right at the Fork or online at rightatthefork.com. 